Hey, welcome to Westside Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. Here at Westside, we're all about equipping believers to succeed in life and mature in Christ as they reach, win, and disciple others. In just a moment, you're going to hear an encouraging message. But before we get into it, if we can serve you in any way by helping you grow in your walk with God, we want to connect with you at wcspokane.com slash connect. Fill that out and someone from our team will reach out to you. Now let's get ready to study the word together. Spend a really wonderful time in Israel, and uh, that's been a kind of a lifelong ambition. And um, my dad's too; he never got to go, so I got to go as his proxy. But uh, we it was a good time, and um, you know, you you get over there and you realize that when they say it's uh, the size of New Jersey or smaller and how close everything is, you begin to realize just how true that is. And uh, you can get around the country really easily uh, in, a, in a day. It's, it's not difficult. Um, but I, I, uh, I wanted to just take a few minutes um, as we're diving in because I wanted to show you just a couple of pictures without um, really being a tour guide for the whole Sunday because I've been gone for a while and, and I got a word to preach, um, which is important. Uh, but I do want to share just a couple of things with you. Um, I got some pictures they're going to put up for us. Um, The first one is kind of just a short little video clip I took of an excavation that's actually under the city of David. So the city of David is to the south of the Jerusalem walls, the old Jerusalem walls. And um, 100 years ago, they didn't even know the city of David was there. They have a picture from like 1908 of it just being agricultural land, just dirt everywhere, and they were growing things on it, like farms and tiers and all kinds of, no, hardly any buildings, and um, it's where the city of David was. So, you know, over the hundred years of Israel becoming a nation and starting to build, there's city buildings, parking lots, cars, yards, right right there within eyeshot of the Temple Mount, city of David. So they had a pipe burst, and uh, they were digging down to fix the pipe, and anytime you put a shovel in the ground anywhere in Israel... An antiquities person is with you to make sure that you don't dig up something ancient, a relic, something that's super important. And every time you dig, you find something of significance. So they're digging for this pipe, and they had to get below where the pipe was, and they scratched stone. Well, they found, uh, let's go to the next one. They found the same, the same uh, picture the next picture. They found the Pilgrim's Road. Now, the Pilgrim's Road was a, basically a long staircase that led from the Pool of Siloam, where pilgrims would come on uh, feast days, and they would come and they would wash in the Pool of Siloam. It was fed by water in spring, so it was constantly turned over. They'd wash, they'd come out of that pool, and then they'd walk the Pilgrim's Road up to the Temple Mount. So it's a, and actually a really kind of an easy grade of a climb, just these you know, short little steps, five-inch steps, and then a path that's at a grade, and then another step. And, and so this, this path that we walked on uh, isn't open to the public yet. They just found this less than a year ago. And they're, they're, there's, uh, above this are people living, like buildings, houses, streets. So this is like 30 feet down. It's, this thing was buried, right? Um, so they're, they're creating this, you know, you can see that steel structure to hold everything up. But the, this isn't open to the public. They brought us down there because of the group I went with, they, we were able to go down and see it. But they can say with absolute certainty that this was a path that Jesus actually walked on. His feet were actually on this road because everybody, everybody was at some point or another traveling from the Pool of Siloam up to the Temple Mount 
on this path. And it's wide. They're only excavating as much as they can. It's wide. And there's uh, shops next to it, houses. People would sell things, you know, just like we would today. You know, hey, road. I live right beside it. Might as well make a buck. And so they would sell stuff out of their houses. And you can see in the stone carved where the doors would close. I mean, it's just, it's very, very interesting. So most of Israel... Um, because it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was on the planet, most of the, these places are under 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 feet of rubble. Um, and, I, and I mean rubble because the Romans conquered it in uh, 73, and when they came in and wiped out, they, they pushed over all the temple walls. There's just rocks strewn all over the place. Um, they, they bulldozed, if they had it, they bulldozed the temple, right? They knocked it all down. Jesus was right. He said, there'd not be one stone left upon another. The temple was wiped out. And so all these stones and different things that were rubble were used in building in other places. Like you got a nice square stone. I'm going to use that as a cornerstone for my house. So you just got to figure out how to get it on the cart and get it over to the, so all this stuff has kind of been shuffled around, but um, it's, it's under layers and layers of stuff. So there's very few places in Israel that you can actually put your foot down and say Jesus was actually here. Now, like Mount of Olives, right? They didn't move a mountain. The mountain's still there, right? You know that Jesus was on the mount overlooking Israel, praying. The Garden of Gethsemane is there. Uh, It's where Jesus is going to come back, the Bible says, and put his foot down on the ground. He's going to do it on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple Mount. And uh, we, we find out that as we're kind of going down into these tunnels and staircases and down into the ground where they've excavated things and found things from the era when Jesus was around, it's, it's buried. Uh, but this place, they've unburied, and you can walk it. It's, it's spectacular. So that was, that was a, really cool, uh, a really cool moment to be kind of some of the few people that have seen this yet. It's going to be open, and eventually a ton of people will be down there. But right now, they're still excavating. Like, like dirt pails are coming out, and they're sifting. All, it's amazing. So uh, go to the next one. Um, I know these aren't like super huge pictures, but... Uh, this one is a picture of me in front of the garden tomb. Um, this was a, this was probably one of the most powerful moments of the trip for me. Um, a lot of cool stuff to see and, and take note of and really pay attention to. I got baptized in the river Jordan. That was super cool and cold, um, (laughs) but super cool. Uh, February in Israel is not necessarily sunny and warm, even though it's in the Mediterranean. It was brisk let's put it that way but this was spectacular because um this is really right around the corner can you go to the next one real quick is it the uh no no go back to sorry go back to that one this is can you guys see this picture just a little bit i'm gonna point out just a little bit to you but can you kind of see like two eyes and a nose and the face of that rock right there you kind of see that they call this golgotha this is the place of the skull like from the from the biblical times and it's heavily eroded heavily eroded but this is the place where they believe Jesus was crucified. It was Golgotha, right? Um, we, know he's, we know he was crucified on Golgotha. It says it in the Bible. They believe this is Golgotha, the place of the skull. It's just outside of the Jerusalem walls, just outside of the Damascus Gate, um, which is in the Arab quarter. Um, and then right around, I mean, in a short walking distance around the corner there's, uh, is where the garden tomb is. And what's interesting about this is that... Uh, we're standing in a, in a, in a quote-unquote park uh, that they have designated so that you can be a part of the garden tomb and see where Jesus was crucified. But right where the buses are is where Jesus was crucified. Now, we've all seen the painting with the three crosses on the hill, right? That Jesus got crucified on the hill. 
In reality, Jesus wasn't crucified on a hill. The Romans liked to crucify people close to the road. When people were passing by, it added to the humiliation and the shame of the event of dying in the most brutal way they could find. So he probably was not up on the hill. He was probably down below at the face of this rock because there's a main road right outside the gate that went by there and thousands of people walked that road. So what's interesting to me is, is that where Jesus shed his blood and died for us so that we could have eternal life forever, they have a bus depot there now. They like paved it and they park buses there, right? It's wild. They have no idea that the most precious blood of all time was shed on that spot. And it doesn't belittle our sacrifice or his sacrifice for us, not even in the slightest. But it shows us that there's a world full of people that really have no idea what happened. And that spot right there, that the Savior of all mankind gave his life in that spot where they park buses. And they're revving them up and checking them while we're trying to talk to the guide. It was, it was, a, it was a surreal kind of a wild moment where we're looking at where Jesus laid down his life at the bus depot. But that's, that's really what it was. And it was amazing. I actually got to talk to a barista and he made like probably the best coffee I'd had in Israel up to that point. And we were, we were talking. He had uh, immigrated over from New York when he was 14. He had served in the military. Um, they were Jewish. That's why they came. But he's, he's, uh, he recognized me. I mean, I'm a little up. I know I stand a little bit. Recognized me right away that I am not. Um, but he did ask me in Hebrew first what I wanted. And I just told him an Americano. And then he switched right over to English, which was great. Um, <laughs> But he made me a good copy, and I, and I told him, he said, uh, what I was doing while we were there, and, you know, he's like, you know, he lives in the Holy Land, right? He understands tourism. But I told him, I said, today was probably the most impact. He asked me what was the most important. I said, today was probably the most impactful day because we went to the place where Jesus was crucified and where he was laid in a tomb. And he says, that happened in Jerusalem? Whoa. Question mark. And I was like, Wow. This is the world we live in, right? And, and it's just true. I mean, Israel is a very secular country. I mean, there is orthodoxy, there's, there's religion, but there's also none, none at all. Just Jewish by culture, not by religion. And uh, just it was just another eye-opening moment that we live in the same situation in America, that not everybody's Christian. There are people that have no idea in our country that Jesus died at the bus depot, right? They have no idea. They have no idea. And yet we have to tell them, right? I mean, we've got to do our job. We've got to tell them how important this is. So right around the corner um, where I'm doing this, this, this is my wife reminding me, make sure you're in the picture once in a while because we don't want to see the stuff. We want to see your face in the stuff. So that's why I'm making a weird, goofy look, taking a picture. But this, this garden tomb, you're welcome. This garden tomb... <laughs> Uh, again, it's speculation whether this is it or not. It's in, it's in approximate close location. They said it was close. It is hewn out of rock, meaning the Bible says that the tomb had never been used and it was chiseled out of solid rock. So it wasn't something they made, like mounted up a bunch of dirt and tunneled into it. They chiseled it out. And, you know, over the centuries, you know, openings had been blown open, whether explosions or looters or whatever. That's why that wall is built there on the right but they've made this kind of a park so nobody touches it anymore. But when you go in, there's like a preparation area and then a burial area. And it's, you know, it's bigger than I thought it would be, but it's, you know, decent size. Um, but to be there and understand just how important this was and then to take communion just, you know, 20 yards away, 
just, you know, you're, you're literally taking the elements that were shed on that ground is, that was, that was a moment for me um, that was pretty powerful. And it's, um, it is very much, these sites are very much commercialized, right? I mean, they have figured out how to get tourists in and out, but the impact is still, yeah. it's still there. And standing on the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane and being around the olive trees and being able to look right across the Kidron Valley and see Jerusalem and the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount and the City of David and just understand how close everything was when the Bible starts talking about Joshua coming over the hill or Jericho and how it's right next to the Dead Sea and like all these things. Jericho is not very far. It's like seven miles from Jerusalem, Jericho, uh, where the walls fell. I mean, it's everything is just like so in proximity that it's just, it's amazing to kind of stand and understand, okay, this is how Jesus could get get around. I mean, it would take him a day to walk there, but he could get there in a day. You know, it might take him two to travel from north to south, but you know, if you're, if you're hoofing it, you can make it. It's, it's close. And uh, it was really, that was really impactful to be there. And then the last one I showed you, which you can't super see very well or see super well was she showed a map of what the, uh, what the city of David looked like and that, and that road that we were on underground, how that led up to the Temple Mount. Because, um, you know, we go, we go underground in a bunch of places and you can see ruins from Jesus' time. You can see uh, the architecture and, you know, but the Romans did a really good job of destroying. When they come in and destroy a culture because they conquered it, they tear it up pretty good and uh, remnants of things. Um, but you can't necessarily for sure say that, you know, Jesus slept in this spot or Jesus was laid in this, you know, th- there's, there's some speculation, but it was, it was really good to know that was, that was where his ministry started and to get to just see it. There's more to say to that, but um, what I want to do is uh, share more of this with you uh, outside of a Sunday morning because the group that I went with, um, they're going to come and do a presentation on Israel uh, some, sometime in the near future, and they'll do it like on a Sunday night or a Monday night, something that's convenient. And they'll come in and kind of just basically talk about Israel and the impact that we can have as Christians on Israel, as God's called us to be a blessing to Israel, um, and some of the things that, that go on around that organization. So I'd encourage you to be there for that. But also, that's when I want to share some of the other stuff that I got uh, from the trip and, you know, maybe be in a little more in depth when it's not a Sunday morning and, uh, you know, we got, we got word to preach. Amen? Amen. Uh, so if that's interesting to you, we'll let you know uh, when we get dates on the calendar for that. But... You're still going to hear about it because I'm going to weave some of this stuff into my messages because how can you not? Um, but it's, uh, it was a really great trip, and I appreciate you letting me take my leave of you for a few weeks, and it was, it was really, really good. So, yeehaw. Amen? Um, okay, I want to make sure I cover all my, all my stuff and say what I need to say. Thank you, Lord. Um, did anybody uh, get a chance to watch the movie Jesus Revolution yet? Have you guys heard of that movie? Raise your hands if you saw that movie. Many, one, two, three, four. Okay, the rest of you guys, spend your hard-earned money and go support this movie. It's called Jesus Revolution. And it's a true story about Chuck Smith and Lonnie Frisbee and how God uh, reached out outside of cultural norms and basically a ton of hippies got born again. And it was from the 70s. And they tell the story of how a pastor in a basically a dying church didn't know what to do, was just kind of following the... The structure, you know, and uh, a hippie shows up one time and loves Jesus and starts bringing, bringing new converts with him to church and uh, freaks the board members out. They end up leaving, but the rest of the church stayed 
and a whole bunch of people got born again and baptized. And so this story uh, was impactful. We watched it in the theater, and uh, and several times, several times, I was weepy from what just just the impact of what Jesus did in people's lives. And so I'm encouraging you to spend the money to go watch it. One, because it will support a good work. Uh, but two, I believe it'll stir you like it stirred me. Because if there's ever a time we live in, we live in the same time they live in now. We just don't have hippies. We just got Gen Z that's just running amok, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Because they're looking, just like the hippies were, to fill the void that only God can fill. And drugs and alcohol and sex and all the other garbage doesn't do it. You can't reassign your gender and find Jesus in that. You have to find him and fill him with, with that God-shaped hole on the inside. Are you hearing me? And so we've got to understand that while there are things going on in the world that, that are hard for us to comprehend, flashback 50 years, there was a whole group of Christians that did not understand the hippie movement at all. And yet God moved dramatically and mildly in their lives to see great change come in our country. And so um, it's pertinent to where we live right now. So I'm just encouraging you to watch it and get stirred up because God, God's about to do the same thing again. We are, we are 50 years away from that Jesus revolution. We're living in it right now. And uh, there's something about God doing things in 50s that just happened. And so we're right on the cusp of another outbreaking. We're seeing revival. We're seeing kids repent and, and youth come to Jesus and lay down and sacrifice and surrender like never before. And that's not just a sovereign move of God. That's because men and women of faith have stepped out and honored him and done something. And God said, okay, now we're going. Let's get this done. And so we have a job to do. So I would encourage you to watch that and uh, cry like I did. So, amen. All right, let's turn over to uh, Acts chapter 1. We're going to spend a few weeks uh, talking about the reality of Jesus. The reality of Jesus. And I feel like it fits in this in this moment, especially coming back from, uh, you know, Israel and really having a, uh, an eye-opening experience of seeing the things that you see when you're in Israel that, that really, they make an impact on you because that's where our Savior was. Right. And it really is a real place. Like, I flew there, right? We landed at the airport that Jesus probably flew in and out of, you know? We ate at the shawarma place that Jesus probably sat and ate at, and we joked like this the whole time. But it was, it was awesome to be on the ground, to be there. You realize Jesus did not fly in and out of the airport, right? That was a joke, okay, because nobody laughed. I'm like, okay. Um, you know, it was, it was great to be there, to see it, to touch it, um, but, but really, if you don't bring it home, if we, don't, if we don't allow the reality of Jesus to really have an impact in our lives, we will be okay with just a, an ordinary existence. And we're not called to that. Right. These guys that knew Jesus, that walked with him, touched him, prayed with him, come on, slept piled up probably with Jesus. I mean, they just they lived with him for three years. They had a very real and tangible experience with the Lord Jesus. But then he left. First he died. Then he rose again. I mean, you talk about roller coaster. Then he left again. I mean, just up, down, up, down, emotional highs and lows. 
But they had to come to grips with the reality of who Jesus was was going to impact what they did for the rest of their lives. And and the same is true today for us. The reality of who Jesus is in us has got to impact our lives. And, and I bring it back into this, you know, seeing this movie that talked about the Jesus movement and the Jesus revolution. Like, there were people that had to let go of their what God and let him work and people by droves come to Jesus because they were looking everywhere else for God. And when they found him, it was it. It was the answer. It was the ultimate high. It was the best. And man, I'm telling you, we're called to this to introduce people to Jesus. But we've got to have this burned on the inside of us. This absolute knowing that Jesus is real. Because I promise you this, there is coming a day when we will stand face to face with him. We will wrap our arms around Jesus, our Lord and Savior, with eyes that are pools of liquid love. I mean, just to know that we know this is him, this is Jesus. And to embrace him. He's a real live person with arms and legs and eyes and ears and we're going to hug him and love him and be so grateful for that moment amen but we got to live every moment like like that's happening right now to know that he's real he's real he's real he's real because i believe this is important for us today acts chapter 1 verse 4 and being assembled together with them Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise. Underline and highlight the word promise right there in your Bible. The promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and seasons for which the Father is put in his own authority. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is giving them the blueprint of receiving the Holy Spirit. This is how we find and reveal the reality of Jesus Christ on the inside of us. He told them this is the promise. Now turn over to Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And that, and according to verse, or sorry, according to uh, verse 15 of Acts, that is 120 people. Now, I believe it wasn't just all adults. I believe that upper room was full of men and women and kids, teenagers, young adults. Come on, there are families in there. there. There were people in the upper room that were waiting on the Holy Spirit like Jesus asked. And, and they were all there with one accord in one place. Verse 1. Verse 2. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Everybody say all. Oh. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the beginning of what Jesus was doing in the church to reveal himself to the world, was to allow the Holy Spirit to come in and to be a part of who we are, and then to be an expression out of us in a prayer language called speaking in other tongues, praying in the Spirit, as the, as the Word says. And this is part of the reality 
This is on the inside of us. He said, don't do anything till you get this right here. Praying and believing, speaking in other tongues. Now, I want to encourage you in this, if you haven't studied this, to study this out. Because this gift, this ability given by the Holy Spirit is for every believer. Everyone that calls in the name of the Lord can believe and be baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in other tongues. And this isn't our idea. This isn't a charismatic Pentecostal idea. This is an Acts chapter 2 idea. Acts chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 19. The Holy Spirit wants to work in us and through us and pray in the Spirit. Pray through us. Use us to pray out the mysteries of God. This is the beginning of understanding the reality of Jesus in our lives. The Holy Spirit on the inside of us revealing Jesus to us on a regular basis. Everybody okay? This is important. Then chapter 5, or verse 5, sorry, chapter 2, verse 5. And, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speaking in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one, one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and those uh, dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Persia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocked and said they were full of new wine. Now, this is where I want to get Peter's sermon. This is Peter, man. He knows. He's just, he's just been baptized with the Lord Jesus Christ. He's full of the Spirit of God, and this is his message. But Peter, standing up with, with the eleven, he raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. These are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day, about nine o'clock in the morning. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He is prophesying from Joel in a message to the, to the almost about to be new church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, it shall come to pass in the last days that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now listen to me. In the last days, the Bible is clear what it talks about as the last days. The last days are, the la are these last 2,000 years we've been living in. They're the last two years of the six days of creation that God started with on the planet. He, he created for six days and he rested on the seventh. So humankind, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Humankind has had 6,000 years to live and to move and to breathe on this planet. God gave us that. 
And we are at the end of the 6,000 years. We are. But the, la- the Bible speaking, the last 2,000 years has been called the last days. Every- from when Jesus was resurrected, it started the church age until now, it's, it's all called the last days. Now you and I, luckily, have been picked, handpicked by the Lord to live in the last of the last of the last days. The last sliver of time right before Jesus comes back. So this scripture is, has been and is being fulfilled for the last 2,000 years, but even more so in our time right now. Even more so, there's an outpouring of the Spirit of God like never before. It's been prophesied through the Word. It's been prophesied from prophets of old and of new that have said that in the last days, the last of the last days, right before the Lord comes back, there will be such an outpouring of the Spirit of God in the earth like it has never been seen before. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. And I'm not talking about seeing visions of vacation in Fiji and dreaming dreams of bacon and, and blueberry pie. I'm talking about visions of the things of God and dreams of the things of God. You can expect that in your life, in your season now because of the time that we live. And, and Peter, because he knows who Jesus is, and now he's had an experience with the Holy Spirit that cannot be challenged by anyone. He's got it, full of the Spirit. He stands up, gives his first message, begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and declare and decree, this is what Prophet Joel said. There's going to be prophecy. There's going to be an outpouring of the Spirit on all flesh. Amen? We've got to have this reality of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. All right, jump to verse 32. Chapter 2, verse 32. He's still preaching. He says this, this, this Jesus... God has raised up of which we were all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured, out this, he poured out this which you now see and hear. He's talking about this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. This is what God did. And he says this, Peter, still preaching, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Listen, there is something about knowing the reality of Jesus on the inside and what he has done for you and what he is doing for you right now that will give you words to speak, words to say that will cut somebody to the heart, and their only reply is, what shall I do? Come on, we're living in the era, we're living in the time where the fields are white to harvest. And just like that barista that had no idea that Jesus was crucified in his town, right outside the walls, probably the most famous murder of all time, happened just a couple of miles from where we were talking. There's a world full of people in our country that don't know Jesus, and they don't know what to do, but they're trying everything else, because that's what the world is offering. Take this pill, drink this drink, have this girlfriend, come on, are you hearing me? They're trying to fill the gap that only Jesus can fill. 
And Jesus wants to fill it, but it requires men and women of faith full of the Holy Spirit that know God so well that they are unashamed to say, I know what you're looking for. It's the Savior. It's Jesus. He fixes everything. He takes care of the depression and the addictions, and he breaks off all this bondage that's kept you bound for so long. He fixes it all. He's the only one. Somebody's got to say this to them. And I, I realize, I know, this is a subject we talk about. I get it. But I just can't get away from it because it's the season that we're in. We're, we're in a time where we need to know God better than we ever have. Because we're in a harvest season. We're in it personally, and we're in it in for the souls. The harvest is ripe. These people are ripe. They desperately need to know that there is a God. And he loves them and wants to save them from their sins. So you, you, you believers, those that love God, can have words to say to somebody where the only reply they have is, what should I do? Cut to the heart. Something pierced them that was beyond your words where they say, what do I do? And he answers, And he says, says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of, of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise, there it is again, underline and highlight, for the promise of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That's us. We're the many that are afar off. We're the many that were separated from God because we didn't have covenant. We were outside of the covenant of God. And then Jesus made new covenant with us in his blood between us and the Father to make us right. Come on, we've got to be ready with this message of repentance for those that say, what do I do? This is it. We've got to begin to see ourselves laying hands on people because they need addictions broken off laying hands on people and speaking life into them and encouraging them and loving them where they have hope and healing and health again. Amen? Amen. That's the dreaming dreams and the seeing visions. That's the prophecy. That's declaring and decreeing. That's the, the, uh, the uh, conviction of prophecy is the, is the things that are encouraging and bringing forth encouragement to others that you can do this, that God's for you. Amen? And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, this is verse 40, be saved from this perverse generation. Gosh, does this mean, I mean, if it, if it applies to be saved, I mean, and we think, we think, oh, they didn't have the perversion we have. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, yes, they did. The devil's the same. He's doing the same tricks, playing the same games. And it was, it was blatant, and you think it's blatant and open now, it, it was blatant and open then. And he was telling them, if you repent, if you turn, you can be saved from this perverse generation. There's, there's, a, there's a God beacon on the inside of every human being that just beats until it just finds God. And it looks in all kinds of crazy places. But it wants out of the sinful world. It wants out. And we're the answer. So we've got to believe like this. We've got to understand this, this book, this word... For us, when he's talking to this perverse generation, he's talking to us. 
in this perverse generation. We can be bold about what we believe. I mean, again, we have the best message with the best book and the most power of any religion ever. We have it. It's ours. It's in our possession. Do we keep it at home and hide it for ourselves? Or do we take it out to the world? Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread and in prayers. I'm telling you, at the end, right here where we're at, with the last sliver sliver of time we have, we're going to see such a, a, a dramatic harvest of souls. And I'm telling you what, when you get a bunch of, let's just equate it to the 70s. When you get a bunch of hippies born again, it is messy. Are you hearing me? Because you got habits and ideas and ideology and thinking and, and addictions and all kinds of stuff that are, that are happening, and it's messy. But God needs people in the church that got enough stability and foundation that you can handle a little bit of messy in getting people closer to Jesus. You got to be okay with somebody hugging you and slobbering and just snotting up your whole shirt because they just had a radical change with God and you're just there. Are you okay with that? I mean, that sounds weird, but this is going to happen when the churches fill up. And I'm telling you, the churches that that continue to fill and stay full and impact the community are the ones that embrace anybody and everybody that walks through the doors. Anybody and everybody that comes into their home from across the street. Are you hearing me? I mean, we we have a job to do and it's going to be messy. It is not going to fit into the cute little box of church like we've had for so long. And and I've got to be blunt with you. Where we're heading as a nation, is gonna, it's going to be rough. There is not a blue skies and daisy fields ahead of us. It's going to be rough. We are at war for the very fiber of our country. And in doing that, in battle and war, it's messy and it's grotesque, but the battle is worth it. Because there are souls on the line. And, and it would be great if we could just elect all believers and get them all in and just fix it all. That is not the answer. It's, it's something that we pray for and believe God will get the right people in place. But we don't have a savior in the presidency or in the governorship or in the Senate. We have a savior. And he's more than enough to fix all of this. And the church being strong and vibrant will do more to impact culture than a politician ever could even think about. So we've got to get after this and understand that as we move forward and things get rough in our country, we do not lose hope and we keep our eyes on the fields of harvest. Because the tougher it gets, the more pressure is squeezed, the bigger the harvest. And it's happened that way throughout all of history. All of history. The greatest impact is when there was the greatest adversity. It was not in peacetime. It was in wartime. It was in persecution time. So buckle up and get ready. Come on now. These guys were willing to stand on podiums and preach the gospel knowing that there were people watching them, wishing them dead, plotting their deaths, and yet they stood in public places and they declared and decreed the things of God and saw 
thousands of people get healed and delivered and saved because of the audacity that they had. And they were okay with losing a few, a few friends on Facebook. They were okay with finding a different job. They were okay with finding another peer group that, that wouldn't shout them down. Are you hearing me? They laid it all down. I am, I am not of the opinion that we're to be so careful with how we walk to not offend anybody so that we can reach all these people. Come on, there are people that will be unreached. It's going to happen. You're supposed to go after the ones you're supposed to go after. And if you're quiet and silent, you will miss them at the expense of others that really have no desire for God at all. I'm not writing people off. I'm just saying you're trying to save people that aren't showing any interest, and you got thousands of people showing interest, and they don't even know your voice. All of us, all of us, this is for all of us. Come on, it's audacious to serve Jesus. It's bold, it's out front, and it may not be your personality in all the cases, but you can still be audacious one-on-one. You can still be audacious one-on-two. You can be audacious in your house, in your living room, when you've invited somebody over. Are you hearing me? Everybody okay? These guys were willing to lay it all down. Then fear, verse 43, fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided them among them all, as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, those who were being saved. Why? Why would they sell possessions? Why would they bring things into the storehouse? Why would they bring things into the apostles to help distribute? Why would they do that? They had a reality of Jesus, of who he was and who he is to them. They had a real God experience with the kings and the Lord of lords. And it drove them to action. It drove them to do something. All of us are being prompted and prodded by the Holy Spirit to some action, to some bold outgoing. Maybe it's to unload something, to sell something, to be a blessing to others. Maybe it's to step out in a ministry, step out in something. You know, we use the word ministry, and I got to use it carefully, because when you start throwing around, around the word ministry, immediately people start thinking, oh, that's pastor, that's teacher, that's evangelist, that's prophet. Come on, there are there are people in this room that you function and can function in as an evangelist. But that doesn't mean you are an evangelist. It just means you know how to tell people about Jesus. That's evangelism. There, there, are, there are things you've gotten from the Holy Spirit by the Holy Spirit that were prophetic in nature, that were, and it had an impact on your life or someone else's, but that doesn't mean you're a prophet. right? Just because you can teach doesn't mean you're a head teacher in the church, but that is, you can still teach. You understand? Ministry is all of us. We're all called to do something. We're all called to present the gospel. We're all called to prophesy. We're all called to evangelize. We're all called to do these things and teach and disciple others. Are we not? I mean, if you're a mom and a dad, you're a shepherd. You are shepherding little ones. That's your flock, like it or not, right? Even if you're trying to trade them in, you can't do it. They're, 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 they're yours. 
So we're called, to, we're called to ministry, all of us, but there are very few people in the body of Christ that fit into this five-fold ministry. It's truly not something you want to desire and go after because the judgment is stricter for a position like mine. I got to be careful that I'm, that I'm preaching right and teaching right. And when I make mistakes, I got to own it and change it and fix it. Are you hearing me? There's a stricter judgment for this. But that doesn't mean you're not called to ministry. We're all in the ministry. We're all called to something. Lay down something, sacrifice something, surrender something for the greater good. And I'm not talking about socialism. I'm talking about following Jesus, laying down our life, taking up his cross, following after him. You will be asked to do things that are uncomfortable, but it's for the sake of those that are dying and going to hell. For their sake. What are we willing to lay down? These guys are willing to lay down all of it. There are Christians today that aren't even willing to lose a follower on Instagram. That's scary. I promise you, when you follow God, people will leave you. When you do what he told you to do, they will leave. They will slander you. They will talk bad about you. Come on, they'll call your friends and talk bad about you. Are you hearing me? Buckle up. It's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. Get ready. Just understand, I'm on mission. God's called me to this. I can take it. Jesus took it. Peter and John took it. Paul took it. Many, many, many believers took it. Way worse than we're going to get. Chapter three. You guys okay? You take a little more? We're right there. How did it happen? How did it happen? Noon already. I'll summarize this. They, they're walking into the gate beautiful, and there's, there's a lame man. Somehow, he did not get healed by Jesus in the last three and a half years. He's lame from his mother's womb. He's at the gate of beautiful. He's begging alms. They go into this gate for whatever reason. They go through this gate this time. And, and he turns and he looks at him and he says, silver and gold, I have none. I'm not packing any on me. Not, he wasn't saying I'm broke. He just said, right now, I'm not carrying anything on me. But what I do have, I'll give you. And then he said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he went over to him and he took his hand and he began to lift him up. And the Bible says when he did that, immediately, everybody say immediately, immediately. power came into his legs and, and strengthened his legs and his, and his ankle bones. And he stood on his feet and he walked and he leaped and he praised God with him all the way in. There's something about knowing who Jesus is that will drive you to reach out to somebody that has no hope outside of Jesus and declare something over them, and then grab them by the hand and go, let's go, yank. You don't do that unless you know Jesus. You don't do that unless Jesus is real on the inside of you. Come on, we got to be a church that Jesus is so real and so tangible that it'll drive us to go outside of our comfort zone and reach people that are hurting. Amen. Thank you, Lord. It's not going to get easier. I'm not going to preach you a pioneer message. God can be good to you in any situation. You can have peace in your home no matter what's going on in the world. Come on, you can have peace and joy in the Holy Ghost no matter what they're saying about your church or your family or what they're going to do to Christians or gun owners or righties or whatever. Whatever they say, whatever they come after, in any way they come after the things of God, whatever they do. You can have peace in your home. That, that still means there's going to be tumultuous times outside of there. And that means we cannot hunker down and hermit up 
and just bury ourselves in the middle of nowhere. There are people that desperately need people that know who God is. And that's us. We got to know Jesus. He's got to be reality to us so much that it drives us to do things that God has called us to do. Are you with me? Because it's coming. I mean, it's on us already. I mean, if we could look behind the curtain and see what they're planning and plotting right now, it'd send a shiver up your spine. But that's the devil, and that's what he wants. He wants you to be afraid, and God wants you to be bold and trust him. When He shows up big in big situations. I'm telling you, he's going to show up so big, and we're going to see such a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God that the world will shake as Jesus comes back. It's a good time to be alive. So I want to put as much in you as I can to be ready to go. That you understand what we're facing, what we're looking at. We're at war. We should be on our knees. We should be on our faces praying for strength and guidance and help from the Lord. And then when we get up from that place, know that he's with us, walking with us. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, we want to chat with you and help you in your walk with God. We invite you to connect with us at wcspokane.com slash connect and someone from our team will be in touch with you. You can also hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any new content in the future. Thanks again for joining us and remember, Jesus is coming soon.